appendix part nine of the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine appendix criticism of the kantian philosophy part nine after kant had thus introduced such great errors into the first simple outlines of a theory of the faculty of perception he adopted a variety of very complicated assumptions to these belongs first of all the synthetic unity of apperception a very strange thing very strangely explained the i think must be able to accompany all my ideas must be able this is a problematic apodictic enunciation in plain english a proposition which takes with one hand what it gives with the other and what is the meaning of this carefully balanced proposition that all knowledge of ideas is thinking that is not the case and it would be dreadful there would then be nothing but abstract conceptions or at any rate a pure perception free from reflection and will such as that of the beautiful the deepest comprehension of the true nature of things that is of their platonic ideas and besides the brutes would then either think also or else they would not even have ideas or is the proposition perhaps intended to mean no object without a subject that would be very badly expressed by it and would come too late if we collect kant's utterances on the subject we shall find that what he understands by the synthetic unity of apperception is as it were the extensionless centre of the sphere of all our ideas whose radii converge to it it is what i call the subject of knowing the correlative of all ideas and it is also that which i have fully described and explained in the twenty-second chapter of the supplements as the focus in which the rays of the activity of the brain converge therefore to avoid repetition i now refer to that chapter that i reject the whole doctrine of the categories and reckon it among the groundless assumptions with which kant burdened the theory of knowledge results from the criticism given above and also from the proof of the contradictions in the transcendental logic which had their ground in the confusion of perception and abstract knowledge also further from the proof of the want of a distinct and definite conception of the nature of the understanding and of the reason instead of which we found in kant's writings only incoherent inconsistent insufficient and incorrect utterances with regard to these two faculties of the mind finally it results from the explanations which i myself have given of these faculties of the mind in the first book and its supplements and more fully in the essay on the principle of sufficient reason section twenty one twenty six and thirty four explanations which are very definite and distinct which clearly follow from the consideration of the nature of our knowledge and which completely agree with the conceptions of those two faculties of knowledge that appear in the language and writings of all ages and all nations but were not brought to distinctness their defence against the very different exposition of kant has for the most part been given already along with the exposure of the errors of that exposition since however the table of judgments which kant makes the foundation of his theory of thinking and indeed of his whole philosophy has in itself as a whole its correctness it is still incumbent upon me to show how these universal forms of all judgment arise in our faculty of knowledge and to reconcile them with my exposition of it 
in this discussion i shall always attach to the concepts understanding and reason the sense given them in my explanation which i therefore assume the reader is familiar with an essential difference between kant's method and that which i follow lies in this that he starts from indirect reflected knowledge while i start from direct or intuitive knowledge he may be compared to a man who measures the height of a tower by its shadow while i am like him who applies the measuring rule directly to the tower itself therefore for him philosophy is a science of conceptions but for me it is a science in conceptions drawn from knowledge of perception the one source of all evidence and comprehended and made permanent in general conceptions he passes over this whole world of perception which surrounds us so multifarious and rich in significance and confines himself to the forms of abstract thinking and although he never expressly says so this procedure is founded on the assumption that reflection is the ectype of all perception that therefore all that is essential in perception must be expressed in reflection and expressed in very contracted forms and outlines which are thus easily surveyed according to this what is essential and conformable to law in abstract knowledge would as it were place in our hands all the threads by which the varied puppet-show of the world of perception is set in motion before our eyes if kant had only distinctly expressed this first principle of his method and then followed it consistently he would at least have been obliged to separate clearly the intuitive from the abstract and we would not have had to contend with inextricable contradictions and confusions but from the way in which he solves his problem we see that that fundamental principle of his method was only very indistinctly present to his mind and thus we have still to arrive at it by conjecture even after a thorough study of his philosophy now as concerns the specified method and fundamental maxim itself there is much to be said for it and it is a brilliant thought the nature of all science indeed consists in this that we comprehend the endless manifold of perceptible phenomena under comparatively few abstract conceptions and out of these construct a system by means of which we have all those phenomena completely in the power of our knowledge can explain the past and determine the future the sciences however divide the wide sphere of phenomena among them according to the special and manifold classes of the latter now it was a bold and happy thought to isolate what is absolutely essential to the conceptions as such and apart from their content in order to discover from these forms of all thought found in this way what is essential to all intuitive knowledge also and consequently to the world as phenomenon in general and because this would be found a priori on account of the necessity of those forms of thought it would be of subjective origin and would just lead to the ends kant has in view here however before going further the relation of reflection to knowledge of perception ought to have been investigated which certainly presupposes the clear separation of the two which was neglected by kant he ought to have inquired in what way the former really repeats and represents the latter whether quite pure or changed and to some extent disguised by being taken up into its special forms forms of reflection whether the form of abstract reflective knowledge becomes more determined through the form of knowledge of perception or through the nature or constitution which unalterably belongs to itself 
that is to reflective knowledge so that even what is very heterogeneous in intuitive knowledge can no longer be distinguished when it has entered reflective knowledge and conversely many distinctions of which we are conscious in the reflective method of knowledge have also sprung from this knowledge itself and by no means point to corresponding differences in intuitive knowledge as a result of this investigation however it would have appeared that knowledge of perception suffers very nearly as much change when it is taken up into reflection as food when it is taken into the animal organism whose forms and compounds are determined by itself so that the nature of the food can no longer be recognized from the result they produce or for this is going a little too far at least it would have appeared that reflection is by no means related to knowledge of perception as the reflection in water is related to the reflected objects but scarcely even as the mere shadow of these objects stands to the objects themselves which shadow repeats only a few external outlines but also unites the most manifold in the same form and presents the most diverse through the same outline so that it is by no means possible starting from it to construe the forms of things with completeness and certainty the whole of reflective knowledge or the reason has only one chief form and that is the abstract conception it is proper to the reason itself and has no direct necessary connection with the world of perception which therefore exists for the brutes entirely without conceptions and indeed even if it were quite another world from what it is that form of reflection would suit it just as well but the combination of conceptions for the purpose of judging has certain definite and normal forms which have been found by induction and constitute the table of judgments these forms are for the most part deducible from the nature of reflective knowledge itself thus directly from the reason because they spring from the four laws of thought called by me metalogical truths and the dictum de omni et nullo certain others of these forms however have their ground in the nature of knowledge of perception thus in the understanding yet they by no means point to a like number of special forms of the understanding but can all be fully deduced from the sole function which the understanding has the direct knowledge of cause and effect lastly still others of these forms have sprung from the concurrence and combination of the reflective and intuitive modes of knowledge or more properly from the assumption of the latter into the former i shall now go through the moments of the judgment one by one and point out the origin of each of them in the sources referred to and from this it follows of itself that a deduction of categories from them is wanting and the assumption of this is just as groundless as its exposition was found to be entangled and self-conflicting number one the so-called quantity of judgments springs from the nature of concepts as such it thus has its ground in the reason alone and has absolutely no direct connection with the understanding and with knowledge of perception it is indeed as is explained at length in the first book essential to concepts as such that they should have an extent a sphere and the wider less determined concept includes the narrower and more determined the latter can therefore be separated from the former and this may happen in two ways either the narrower concept may be indicated as an indefinite part of the wider concept in general or it may be defined and completely separated by means of the addition of a special name 
the judgment which carries out this operation is in the first case called a particular and in the second case an universal judgment for example one in the same part of the sphere of the concept tree may be isolated through a particular and through an universal judgment thus some trees bear gall-nuts or all oaks bear gall-nuts one sees that the difference of the two operations is very slight indeed that the possibility of it depends upon the richness of the language nevertheless kant has explained this difference as disclosing two fundamentally different actions functions categories of the pure understanding which determines experience a priori through them finally a concept may also be used in order to arrive by means of it at a definite particular idea of perception from which as well as from many others this concept itself is drawn this happens in the singular judgment such a judgment merely indicates the boundary line between abstract knowledge and knowledge of perception and passes directly to the latter this tree here bears gall-nuts kant has made of this also a special category after all that has been said there is no need of further polemic here End of Appendix Part 9 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine